So last week, as we were finishing Perek Vav, chapter 6, we were rushing. And as I was leaving, somebody said, oh, we went so fast, we didn't really get the whole different levels of klipa. It was too fast. So I said, don't worry about it, because <laughs> we're going to be speaking now at length about the different levels of klipa in the following chapters. So whatever we rushed through at the end of last week, that was really an introduction to the concept. And now we're going to have a more protracted explanation of these concepts, namely the different levels of Klippa. But just to review, just to review how we got here, last week in chapter 6 we were speaking about the inner makeup and the modes of expression of the animal soul and we were saying that they are just a mirror image of or an inversion of the inner makeup and modes of expression of the godly soul and then we spoke about what is the definition what is this inversion what is the definition of kedusha and what is the definition of sitra achra we said Kedusha is, holiness is, that which is bottled to Hashem, that which is surrendered. And anything that isn't surrendered to Hashem is Sitra Achra, literally in Aramaic, the other side, not surrendered. And then we said, but within Sitra Achra, or another byword we have for Sitra Achra is Klippa, Shell, Husk, there are gradations irredeemable and redeemable and the irredeemable are described as three utterly impure klippos and then the redeemable one is called klippas noiga the shiny or luminescent klippa that's what we did last week sounds semi-familiar okay so now Let's go to Perek Zion. <coughs> okay, chapter 7. Ach nefesh hachayun nesabahamis shibi Yisrael shemitzad ha-klippa hamalubashis bedama odem kinizkila el. However, <coughs> however meaning we're pivoting now because we had just been talking about irredeemable klippa. And now we're pivoting to talking about redeemable klippa. The animal soul of the Jew, which is Klippa, the one that's in the blood that gives physical vitality. He says, as we mentioned above, where do we mention? For bonus points, which chapter? You have a one out of six chance of getting it right. <laughs> where do we mention that the animal soul is the vitality in the blood, which... You're saying this like... <laughs> One. One is Hashem, right? Who knows one? Yes. Chapter one, at the end of chapter one. Very good. So as we mentioned at the end of chapter one, <clears throat> that the animal soul is the vitality in the blood which gives life to the body. He's making a list now, taxonomy. <clears throat> so that, 
also v'nafashes behemis v'chayis v'efes v'dogim tahayim u'mutarim b'achila, kosher animals and fowl and fish. V'kiyim chayis kol ademim v'chol atzameich ha'mutar b'achila. Also, any animals or or rather, any uh, inanimate or vegetation which are kosher. Also, any behaviors that a Jew does that are mundane, meaning they're not expressly forbidden, they're just not expressly done for the sake of Hashem either. Rather, they're just something that you feel like doing, your body wants to do. Even if it's necessary for survival, not indulgent. You just didn't have express intent that you are doing this survival thing in order to be able to survive in order to serve Hashem. So you're just doing it sort of mindlessly. So all of these things, we just made a list. The animal soul itself of the Jew, the souls of the kosher animals and kosher uh, vegetation and permissible inanimate objects. That's a lot. There's a lot of permissible inanimate objects. All, everywhere you... Stones, trees, you know, we're talking about a lot of stuff here. Um, all of this stuff... Oh, and also the vitality behind the behaviors that a Jew does that are neither expressly forbidden nor expressly done for the intent of serving Hashem. All of that stuff, this list that we just made, we're now going to classify it spiritually. Could you give an example of that last category that somebody... He's eating because he needs to eat to live, but he didn't think to himself, I'm doing this in order that I should be able to serve Hashem. But what? You didn't even hear what category it is, and you're already saying but. No, I, the category that I asked you to give an example. <laughs> but you don't know how we're classifying it yet. Can you repeat the category? Yes, I will surely gladly repeat. We don't even know what this is a list of, but here it is. The soul, the animal soul itself, that we described at the end of chapter 1 as being the vitality and the blood that animates the body. The souls of kosher animals, you know, like cows. The souls of kosher fowl, you know, like chickens. And the souls of kosher fish, I don't know, like gefilte fish, what? <laughs> Salmon. <clears throat> There's no gefilte fish. <laughs> <laughs> and the souls, yes, they have souls of permissible inanimate objects, meaning the, the energy, the energy behind them. And the energy behind behaviors that a Jew does that are neither expressly forbidden nor expressly done for the sake of Hashem. I didn't say non-kosher. So this is our list. The 
That's when it's energy of no person. Energy uh, behind the actions that we do that are neither expressly forbidden nor expressly for the sake of Hashem. So he says those types of behaviors are no better, no higher in spiritual categorization than the animal soul itself. That's why they're part of the same list. Very good. And this list, virtually all of it, they're all from the second level of Klippa and Sitra Shiklipa Ravia or Ravias, which is the fourth Klippa, Hanikras, which is called Klippas Noiga, the luminescent Klippa. So now we have a nice list of things that are Klippas Noiga the shiny shell, the luminescent husk, where there is a covering, but the covering is translucent. You can make out that there's a godly spark behind it, i.e. you can perceive the potential for this thing to be used for the service of Hashem. Not that it is yet being used to serve Hashem, because it's not yet designated. We spoke about last week that Kedusha also could be designation. It hasn't yet been designated, but it has the potential to be designated. As opposed to what? As opposed to something that's off the table. It, it's opaque, right? I mean, you can't perceive how it could ever be potentially used to serve Hashem, and it can't be designated to serve Hashem because Torah already set it off limits. But we're not talking about those things, those irredeemable things now. Right now we're talking about the redeemable, about stuff that's klippa. It's not holy yet. But if you use it the right way, you could access the potential and elevate it. There was uh, something in the, in the, in the Hebrew where this was used for. So, remember last week you said there's like yeah. categorization. Is that, is that yeah, he calls it the fourth one because the other, there are two kinds of klippa, redeemable and irredeemable. The irredeemable will have three gradations within them. So then the redeemable one is the, called the fourth one. Okay, but for our practice, I mentioned this last week. Yeah, it's not important. So for all intents and purposes, on, for all practical purposes, there are two kinds of clip, redeemable and irredeemable. Yeah. Yes. It's very easy to remember that it's redeemable because remember the reason why it's shining, noiga means luminescent, it's shining, is because... If you can imagine, metaphorically, the godly spark within it is able to shine through it. You, you can make out through the veneer, right? You're looking, at, you're looking at the cup of water. So this is a husk. This is a shell. I don't see godly energy. I see a cup of water. But if you look deeply, your mind's eye can perceive the potential how this cup of water could be converted into something holy. You could drink the water to use it to teach Torah. Well, we're going to talk about making a bracha. We'll talk about that. The ones that cannot are called shalish klippas hatameis, which literally means the three 
impure clippers. And we call, sometimes to emphasize that, we call them utterly impure, or we call them irredeemable, or sometimes I, uh, I will call them opaque in contrast with the luminescent one, which is Klippas Neuger. Yeah. The end of last week, we started talking about the irredeemable Klippas. Right, that was our list of utterly impure. That's why the beginning of this chapter starts with the word ach. Ach means however. It's a pivot. Because we were just talking at the end of chapter 6 about irredeemable stuff, and now we're pivoting and we're saying, here's the redeemable. We didn't discuss it at length, but that's what chapter 8 is going to be about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I've been, play us the song, you're the piano man. Okay, so I've been given a request. All right. By the way, all of the requests that you have in mind, I also have in mind. And I, disca- I discount them because I know how much time I have. But what can I do? One of my fans asked for one of my classics. Okay, here we go. So I have people here who have taken the Tanya Shear before. So anyways, yeah. Um, it's not, and by the way, it's not my mushal. There's a sicha from the Rebbe, Parsha Shlach. Parsha Shlach is actually my, my Bar Mitzvah Parsha. It speaks about the spies, about how um, the spies went out to scout out the land in the days of the ripening of the grapes. So the Rebbe says, why do we need to know it's the days of the ripening of the grapes? So he says, because the message is <clears throat> that like a grape, you hold it up to the light, and you can see the seed through the skin. That's a metaphor for Klippas Neuge, where if you peer through the, the physical appearance of something, you can perceive in the mind's eye how it has a spark of godliness. And since the Meraglim, remember, they came back with ill report because they were afraid of the physical world. They said, no, we can't engage it. We won't be able to successfully refine it. So Moshe was sort of preempting that or attempting to preempt that by telling them, Hey guys, the whole world is a grape. We're in the days of the ripening of the grapes. Look at everything as a grape. Look at everything you see as just having this thin little skin that's translucent. You could peer through it and perceive the fact that there's a godly spark inside. So anyways, Klippas is metaphorically compared to a, a thin-skinned fruit. If that helps you with the visualization, yeah? Okay, so are the three irredeemable... Um, three year demo clip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are those related to the ten crowns of impurity? Yeah. So are they three of the ten? No. Uh, can you give an example of the three? <laughs> are they related? I mean, yeah, they're they're clipper, but are they? Do they correspond to? No, they don't correspond so to. We're pulling up thirteen levels. No, they're totally different things. That's how you. You're, you're mixing and matching totally different categories. Now, don't, don't, don't. They're totally different things. They're different ways. They're classifying different things. The Ten Crowns of Impurity are ways of describing the soul powers of the Nefesh Bahamas, the different faculties the Nefesh Bahamas possesses. Here, the different categories of Klippa is a taxonomy for describing all non-holiness in the entire universe. 
They're two different things. Don't don't mix and match them. Yeah. Is the no reference No, it means to glow. Like uh, the planet Venus is called Noiga because uh, it glows because it has like a cloud cover on it and makes a nice uh, like a <laughs> like a makes a nice glow. Yeah. Is it talking about the same example of the three critical decimals? No, because we're going to do it in chapter eight. Just to make a little bit more. You want you want one example? Yeah. A pork sandwich. There's no purpose for you, no. Mm -hmm. You wanted to give them clips of Timaeus, a pork sandwich. There's no purpose for you. Okay. All right. Should we continue? Okay. Shaba Elam Haze, Handikra Elam Hoasia, Rube Kekule Ra. Wow! You know what he just said? In this world, which is called the world of action, the majority, almost to the extent of being all of it, is Ra. The majority of the world is Ra. 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 <laughs> but Ra doesn't mean like devilish, like uh, diabolical evil. Ra just means like we described in chapter 6. Either it's Kedusha or it's not. <laughs> so it's true. You look around the world. Most of it has not been designated expressly for the service of Hashem. Although, most of it potentially could be designated for the service of Hashem. Meaning, most of the world is in the category of, yes, Klippa, but Klippa Snoiga. Very good. Very good. Okay. So most of the world is Ra. Rak ma'at toiv mu'urav b'seicha. Just a little bit of good mixed up within it. That's what makes it so tricky because it's mixed up in it. <clears throat> and here in the brackets he says, Shimemena boys midis toivis shimenef shabama shibisro kemenishinis boila el. That little bit of good that's mixed up in the ra of Klippas Neuga, that's where the good traits that are natural to the Jewish nation come from, as explained above. And again, I'm going to quiz you guys. One out of six chance of getting it right. Where? Which, which chapter was that? Remember, we said that the animal soul of the Jew is animalistic. It's survival-oriented and amoral. And yet, there's a little bit of good traits mixed in there, like... What do we say? Rachmonim b'shanim gemel chasodim. It's mixed in there. Where where did we talk about that? Anyone remember? Hmm. What do you say? First. first chapter. End of the first chapter. Yeah. <laughs> the end of the first chapter. We spoke about that. So since Klipas Noiga has a little bit of good mixed in there, you see that the uh, the animal soul of the Jew, which is Klipas Noiga, <clears throat> has. Uh, Good traits that come from it. Vehi, now look at this. Vehi bechinamumutsaas, it is an intermediary category. Or a. a uh, well, I wouldn't use that term in the context of a tiny class because it'll really confuse people. 
Because <laughs> Bainani has a very specific meaning in Tanya. So I don't want to confuse people. But <clears throat> this layer or level or category or station of klipa, or state even call it, of klipa, is in between. Between the utterly irredeemable on one extreme and the holy, meaning designated expressly for Hashem, on the other extreme. These. Let me put it this way. Actually, I saw something that was very helpful once in a, in a, in a sicha from the Rebbe where, this was very helpful for me, where the Rebbe said that once you engage with something, there is no more klipas noiga. Klipas noiga is almost like a theoretical <laughs> tree falling in the forest and no one's there to hear it. Once you engage with something, it's going to go one way or the other, depending on how you engage it or engage with it. So <clears throat> this klipas noiga state is sort of like, in theory, this cup of water is sitting there waiting to be given some type of definition. And in theory, it could go both ways. You could use it for good, you could use it the other way. How could you use a cup of water for evil? I don't know. I don't want to get you guys being too creative about these things, but if you're creative enough, you could use anything for evil. Speaking of evil, I'll be. Speak, no, we're not going to speak of evil. No, no, I don't want to speak of evil. most of the world is rock, and yeah. there's a little good... Yeah, yeah. So are we talking about, like, 51% rock, 49 or 99.9... 99.937665 repeating. By the way, do you know, do you know that 83, do you know that 83.7% of statistics cited by rabbis in Tanya classes were made up on the spot? Do you know that? I would hope that the percentage of klipas noiga in the world has been going down in my lifetime. Because I would... Because we've been elevating everything. Yeah. So that number, I would hope, and it is my understanding, is very much in flux. So I don't know, if you take a snapshot in time, you know, <laughs> we're learning in the Parsha, right now, Parsha's Va'edo, that's this week, you know, watching online, it could be any Parsha, but this week in real life, it's Va'edo. So uh, Hashem is taking the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. One of the things we know is that when they left, not, it doesn't say in this week's parsha, actually, next week's parsha, but when they left Mitzrayim, it was with an Erev Rav. And Rav is Reish Beis, 202. The 202 sparks of holiness came out with them out of Mitzrayim. Yeah. And, um, How many? 202, Reish Beis. It says the Erev Rav came with them. Rav is Reish Beis, 202. 202 sparks came out with them. <coughs> when the world was created, it says, that the godly spirit was hovering out over the, wa over the waters. 
So the Arizal says, Morachafis is Meis Repach, the letters Meis Repach. The 200, Repach is 288. 288 sparks from Toihu died. What does it mean they died? That there was a shattering of the vessels and they fell into this world. So from the onset of creation, there were 288 sparks of godliness which shattered and fell into the physical world and needed redemption. And when the Jews came out of Mitzrayim, they brought out 202. And since that time, basically, the, 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 the severity of the enslavement in Mitzrayim was such that they, in 210 years, or Dushana, 210 years, they took out 202 of the 288 sparks that were ever in the world to begin with, leaving only 86 which is the Gamatria Hateva, which means that our remaining work since <clears throat> the Exodus has been to reveal God in nature, to see how the miraculous and the natural are really one. At any rate, my point only is to say that these numbers are changing. And uh, let's look at the board. What do they do with the, like, the telethon? Let's look at the board. Oh, look at that. Somebody made a bracha and a glass of water and learned to blot Gemara. Beautiful. All right. Let's continue here. <clears throat> okay. Velochein, therefore, yeah? Question is, is most of the world Ra, or is most of the world Kippus Naga, or are those the same thing? And the answer is yes, yes, and yes. Most of the world is Ra, most of the world is Kippus Naga, and yes, those are the same thing. Although, not all Ra is Kippus Naga. Some Ra <coughs> is really Ra, and we can't deal with it. And we cannot redeem it. And we can't have any relationship with it other than ignoring it. Thankfully, most of the Ra in this world is of the category called Klippasnaiga, which we can deal with and must deal with. And all three categories are constantly in flux. Well, watch what he's about to say here. Watch what he was about to say here. Velochin, therefore. Sometimes Klippas Noiga can have a demotion and it can be relegated to the three utterly unclean Klippas. You could take Klippas Noiga and turn it into Shalosh Klippas Timaeus. Sometimes you could take the Klippas Noiga and give it a promotion. You can build it up. Turn it into Kedusha. Dahainu, and if you wanted it to be more spelled out for you, here he is. He's spelling it out. Dahainu, what are the mechanics? Kishahatoivamurva, when the little bit of good that's mixed in it, Nisbar Mehara gets refined, gets sifted from the Ra. Vagaver and it predominates, meaning the the toiv becomes predominant. The toiv becomes the characteristic that is most predominant. Vaila, 
and then it ascends and becomes absorbed within holiness. In other words, there was a little bit of toiv in here, a little bit of godliness. At this point, when it's uninflected, unaffected, neutral, it's just klipas noiga. It's neither godly on an overt level. Everything's godly, really. But on an overt level, it's neither godly nor antithetical to godliness. It's not holy or forbidden. There's a little bit of toiv here, the potential of it to be used for something godly. So when you make the bracha on it and you use it to quench your thirst with the intention that I'm now going to learn Torah, and then you do learn Torah, or do mitzvahs, or daven, whatever it might be, then the toiv that's in this, meaning the ability, the potential for this to be used for the service of God, becomes the characteristic that is most predominant. Now it becomes a drink that is being used actively for the sake of service of Hashem. And now the whole thing gets elevated, meaning its spiritual taxonomy has changed. Klipas noiga means a, by definition, klipas noiga means a category which is in flux and will always be determined by usage. So the default setting of most of this world, of Olam HaAsiyah, most of the physical world, the default setting is Klipas Noiga. But once it's engaged, it's going to go up or it's going to go down. And it can go either way. <clears throat> we're talking about right now. We're not talking about future or past. We're talking about present. We're talking about, we're talking about present. What do you mean you see everything? Stop, go, go on a news fast. I'm not even joking. Anybody who ever says to me, you see the world getting worse, I can tell you one thing, you're consuming way too much news. You're consuming too much news. Stop it, just go on a news fast. It's terrible. The, the whole purpose of news is to convince you that there's something to be in dread of so that you have to keep on refreshing and keep checking. The world's getting better. Yeah? Yeah? You're saying, are there degrees? Is there a continuum? Um, well, there may be, but let's say it like this. For our purposes, let's just discuss elevated or not elevated. Meaning, the opportunity was, you, let's say, every encounter with Klipas Neige, is either converted or the potential to convert it was squandered and then it doesn't just stay where it is it becomes unfortunately that by default if the potential to convert it to kedusha was squandered now it becomes shalos klipas atameus because if it wasn't done expressly for service of Hashem so then the the intent by definition was selfish well, now it's selfish, now it's opaque, now it's blocking the godly intent. So, are there gradations? Yeah, there are gradations. Somebody makes a bracha with more kavana, someone makes a bracha with less kavana. Somebody uses the, the calories in his breakfast to daven 
more or daven less. But let's just speak about now, instead of talking about gradations, let's just talk about, for the sake of simplification, um, was something, did you make use of something in a selfish way or in a selfless way? Now, how selfless, how selfish, that's another layer of discussion. But for now, let's just say, was it selfish or selfless? Yeah. Okay, so you're asking a deeper question, which is when you avoid the prohibited, it not that a relationship? It's a relationship of avoidance. And the answer is yes, you're correct. And that is how we have a relationship with prohibited things. The way we have a relationship with that, which is, oh, you're getting me off. Why are you doing this to me? Okay, so last week, last week in Parsha Shmois, Hashem revealed himself to Moshe at the snap, at the burning bush. And one of the things that Hashem tells Moshe, when Moshe asks, who are you? He says, This is my name forever and the, my way of being mentioned for all generations. Now, Rashi even, on a level of pshat, deals with the fact that the word forever is spelled without a vav. Oilam should be spelled ayin vav lamed mem, spelled without a vav. So he says, it's hinting to you, it means to conceal. Ayin lamed mem means to conceal. So this is my name, le'olam could also mean, this is my name to conceal. Meaning yud ke vav ke is Hashem's name, the shem and mefedosh, but we don't, we don't say it, we conceal it. V'zichri, and my way of being mentioned, l'dar I have another way of being mentioned, so even though my real name is Yudke Vavke, you should call me as if it were spelled Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. Okay, at any rate, that's how Rashi explains it. The Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, who we're learning right now, in, an, in another Sefer, in the Torah Ur, <coughs> Torah Ur are his Maimodim, mostly his Shabbos Maimodim, his oral discourses, which were transcribed. <coughs> so in Parsha Shmais, the Alter Rebbe mentions that, okay, Zeshmi Leilam V'zichri Dar is actually a hint to us that the relationship we have with Hashem through guarding ourselves from prohibitions is even higher than the relationship that we have with Hashem through performing positive commandments. He explains, <laughs> Shmi, so Shmi, Shin Mem Yud, Shin is 300, Mem is 40, Yud is 10, 350. Zichri, Zion is 7, Chof is 20, Resh is 200, Yud is 10, so that's 237. So we have 350 and 237. What are those numbers? Nothing. But if you take Hashem's name, Yud Kevavke, and you imagine it vertically integrated as a map of Seder Ishtalshlis, from higher to lower. So you have Yud... <laughs> And hey, and vav, and hey. <clears throat> so often we speak about the top two worlds, Alma Discasia, the hidden worlds, and the lower two worlds, Alma Discalia, the revealed worlds. Yud K and vav K. So Shmi, 
350 plus Yud and He. Yud is 10, He is, is 5, so 10 and 5 is 15. So 350 plus 15, 365. What's 365? Shasalei the, the prohibitions, yeah. And then you have Vovke, the lower two letters of the name. Vov is 6, He is 5. 6 and 5 is 11. Plus Zichri, which was 237. 11 plus 237, what's that? 248. What's 248? Ramach Mitzvah says, 248 positive commandments. So he says, you see, the 365 corresponds to the higher two letters of Hashem's name. The 248 correspond to the lower two letters of Hashem's name. What does this show you? It shows you that the negative prohibitions come from a higher source than the positive commandments. Why is that? Because something that comes down into this world in such a form that you can handle Literally, you can handle it. Like, you can pick it up and manipulate it. You can take the lulav and bench on it, right? And also, I mean, you can handle it, meaning you're able to deal with it. Spiritually, it's not overwhelming for you. So those are lower, relatively speaking, lower-level sparks. Then there are sparks that are so high, when they come into this world, ah, I can't handle it. I can't deal with it. Because it's too lofty for me. So Hashem says, Bubala, don't waste your time with it. You're not going to be able to deal with it. So I'm making it prohibited for you. And your relationship with it will be to reverently pass by and say, I can't deal with this. Sort of like when a person makes a nether and takes something that's permissible and says, but for me, I can't handle it. Like, I can't handle it. Maybe you guys can eat chocolate like a gentleman. You can have two pieces and you could stop. I can't handle it. I don't hate chocolate. I love chocolate. I... I'm in awe of the power of chocolate. And that's why I say, for me, I can't handle it. All chocolate? Hmm? Because the way it comes into this world, it's not accessible. The toiv is not accessible. Everything has toiv or it wouldn't exist. But the way it's in this world, I can't access it. And therefore, I have to be humble enough to know my limits and say, you know what? i got to leave this alone. But the truth is, in the leaving it alone, there's a very lofty relationship with Hashem. Like Similar to a Nazir, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the chazer is a very specific thing, but yeah, but then we would be able to handle it. Yeah, that's one <clears throat> one way of looking at it. Yeah, yeah. How about prohibited sexual relationships? Prohibited sexual relationships. So it actually talks about it in Derch Mitzvah Secha that, uh, for instance, in Atzilos, uh, Zoh and Malchus are brother and sister, and they're married. Chochma and Bina are father and mother, and Zoh and Malchus are brother and sister, and they're married. Whatever that means, in Atzilos, for partsufim, for combinations of Svirois, to be nesached, to unite with each other. And when, when Zoh and Malchus and Atzilos marry each other, they give birth to Bria, to the next world. And up there, it's the holiest thing in the world. But down here, we can't handle it. Not because it's low, but, but, but because it's high, and therefore we can't handle it. Now that's not something that I generally teach, because people hear that, they get so confused, they're like, well, that's perverted. Well, no, it's not perverted. 
chas v'shom, to say that Zoh and Malchus are brother and sister who are married in Atzilos, that's beautiful. The problem is, when it comes down to this world, there's no way any human being can handle that without it becoming perverted. So therefore, Hashem says, Kindalach, leave it alone. Don't touch it. It's not for you. Because we can't handle it. We cannot access, in other words, we cannot access the toy that's in it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, maybe you are saying about the Eitzadas. Yeah, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, that's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, correct also. The Eitzadas, it's not that it's bad, it's that it's, it's so powerful you have to, you can only do it in the way that, where you can handle it. Actually, Hashem even told them, there's a way you can do this where you will be able to handle it. You have to wait until Shabbos, make Kiddush on it, then you would be able to handle it. They tried to, no, I can handle it, I'll do it on my own terms. And then it was an absolute catastrophe. So, a, yeah, a, a lot of this comes down to humility. It's basically understanding that when Hashem says, uh, looks like you had enough to drink. You don't punch the bartender and say, I'll tell you when I had enough to drink. When somebody tells you, hey, I don't think you can handle it, you say, okay, you're right. I don't mean just somebody. I mean, when Shulchan Aruch, when Torah comes and says, guys, don't waste your time with it. So you were talking about forbidden relationships. You know, there's always, the, the I mean, Forbidden relationship is always the, the, the most difficult thing because people don't have incredibly intense emotions, generally speaking, about a ham sandwich. But they do about a relationship. So they say, but, but, but I'm in love, but I've invested. I, and, and, and I have found, well, we're really going far afield, but I have found that it is helpful not to tell somebody, well, you disgusting pervert, right? Like, what, what's that helpful? Especially if somebody says there, there are strong feelings. I think a probably more helpful way to define the conversation would be to say that maybe this is something that we have to recognize our inability to handle. We can't harness this power, so we have to humbly step aside. Right. Right. None of us say, oh, I must have an Well, <laughs> you, you bring up a whole other conversation of why do we find that the human desire for forbidden, for illicit relationships has a tendency to be more emotionally charged than, say, their desire for a ham sandwich. And the answer, and this very much touches upon this whole discussion here, is because of the potential for good that is in human sexuality, that's why there is such a draw to it, 
and also why the misuse is so relatively catastrophic compared to, let's say, something... Look, any prohibition is a catastrophe, okay? But you, can, you see for yourself that a person can fall much lower because of involvement in this type of desire than, let's say, that they get obsessed with eating a ham sandwich. Where does that power come from, that pull come from? It's, it's an inversion <clears throat> of the potential for good. So, there's a... <laughs> eating is a human bodily function. Procreation is a human bodily function. They're all just animalistic bodily functions for the perpetuation of the species, right? That's un, uninflected neutral. Now, when you actually have to engage in those activities, they're not going to stay neutral. Either they're going to become holy or they're going to become irredeemably bad. They're going to become one or the other, okay? So every time you go to eat, either it's going to be holy or it's going to be the opposite. The same thing with the human desire for intimate bonding, it's going to go one way or the other. It's going to go one way or the other. Okay. Let, let's get to a stopping place. We're not going to finish Pedic Zion today, but let's get to a stopping place. He gives an example which I think is very accessible here. <coughs> I think that's why he gives it. What does it mean to successfully engage with Klipas Neige? Kagoyin derech mashal. For example, he says, just an example happens to be, I think, like I said, a very accessible example. Okay. Ho'eichel bisra shmeina de Torah v'shoyseyayin mevosim laharchiv daite l'ashem u'leteirah He eats fatty meat of an ox. And he drinks spiced wine in order to expand his mind for Hashem and his Torah. So here you have a person who's taking delicacies, fatty meat of an ox, and spicy wine. Those are delicacies. And he's turning them into expanded consciousness for the sake of learning Torah better. Kid'omer Rava, like Rava said, the Amoira, the sage of the Gemara. Chamra Varecha Chulu. It's a story about Rava. He said, guys, you want to ask me questions? You want to learn with me? I'm much sharper after I've had my wine and my good smells. Chamra's wine, Recha's smells. So after I've consumed some of these delicacies, then my mind is sharper. You know, if I don't have my coffee, I can't give my Tanya class, right? Literally. Or another example, you engage in physically pleasurable acts. Well, specifically here he's talking about eating delicacies for the sake of enjoying Shabbos or Yom Tov. Azai, then, if that's what you're doing, if you're using these yummy foods in order to settle your body and be able to think better so you can learn Torah better, or to enjoy Shabbos better. So then what happens, he describes the mechanics of it, 
Nisbarer chayes habasa v'hayayin, shahayin nishma meklipas nega. So the vitality of that wine, if that's what we're talking about, the vitality of that wine becomes um, like sifted, becomes selected out, v'ayla l'ashem ka'ayla u'kakorban. And it goes up to Hashem like a burnt offering and like a, a sacrifice. You know, when you take a sacrifice to the Beis HaMikdash and they put an animal on the altar and the fire consumes it and it goes up in flame and there's this conversion where you've taken animal meat, which is not holy, but you make it into a korban, into a sacrifice, and then the whole thing becomes consumed in fire and transformed into spiritual energy. Well, that's really what's happening when you eat food that you use when you burn those calories for the sake of serving Hashem. So it's, it's the same mechanics of taking the animal and putting it on the altar in the Beis HaMikdash and burning it and turning it into godly fire. So same thing. You take the piece of meat, you put it in your stomach, you metabolize it, take those calories, burn those calories, literally, in order to serve Hashem. So it's like a korban. It's the same mechanics of, of a korban. Yet that's why Shabbos we eat meat and we eat fish because we have the ability to more easily elevate klipas noiga on Shabbos. Now, <clears throat> it should be mentioned that you have to really be sincere. And it's not a license to become indulgent and call it Oinig Shabbos. There's a famous story that the, the Baal Shem Tov once was in a shul and he saw a guy sitting and eating cholent, and before each bite, he would say, L'shem Shabbos Kodesh, and the Baal Shem Tov put his arms around the Talmidim, and they made a circle, and that's how they would, sometimes before they would go into like an otherworldly trance, <clears throat> they would like stand in a circle, put their arms around each other, and they looked at this guy, and they saw an ox with a streimel eating cholent, and saying, L'shem Shabbos Kodesh, before each bite. So he was saying L'shem Shabbos Kodesh, but he wasn't really thinking it. He wasn't really believing it. He wasn't really, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he was just satisfying his pleasure. So even here when it says that you do it for the sake of Oinik Shabbos, it doesn't mean that's an automatic, oh, it's Shabbos, everything is fair game. No, no, no. It means <laughs> that <laughs> because it's Shabbos, you have the ability to eat for the sake of Shabbos. But don't say everything I'm eating, oh, it was for the sake of Shabbos. How do I know? Because it was Shabbos. Yeah, but that's not really why you were doing it. This, this, all these... But if you know it tastes different on Shabbos than it would taste the whole... The point is that this, this isn't a game. It's not a game. And Hashem isn't going to be fooled by us uh, making pronouncements that we don't really believe. So there's some commitment involved in Big commitment. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe let me let's go let's go a little bit further here. <clears throat> let's go a little bit further. So we gave an example of how to sift out and successfully convert the potential holiness in the klipas neige of food. We gave an example of food. What about something a little bit more intangible? 
a little more intangible. A person who says a joke, a witty remark. Now you could make a joke just for the sake of making a joke. Just like you could eat food just for the sake of eating food. It feels good. It's pleasurable. Making jokes, because I like to make jokes. But here, what does he do it for? He does it to open his mind. And to rejoice his heart. For Hashem's Torah and service. That service of Hashem has to be done joyfully. Do we have a precedent for this? Yes, we do. Like we have the precedent in the Gemara, what Rava used to do with his Talmudim. He used to open the lesson by first cracking a joke. And then the rabbis, meaning the class, the pupils, would be cheered up. And then he would be able to teach them. So here we're talking about something that's not even a physical object. It's a behavior. It's a joke. And that's klipas noiga. Clean joke. It's a clean joke. Some jokes are gimel klipas tameis. They cannot be elevated. People come up to me all the time, like, Rabbi, I got a joke for you. I know you need jokes. Rabbis always need jokes. And I'll listen. I'll be like, it was very funny, but I can't use that. <laughs> There's no way I could use that. So that, that's, at least for me, that's not klipas neiga. Okay. Um, but maybe I just redeemed all those off-color jokes that people told me. Maybe I just redeemed it by using it as a muscle now and explaining, using that idea. Okay. 